Thank you, Doug. Thank you, team. You may be seated. Again, let me say welcome to all of you. And wonderful to see you on this beautiful Lord's Day. And welcome all those who are uh, with us online as well. And it's great to be back with you. I also bring you greetings from uh, many brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord in Romania. Very grateful for so many of you that prayed for me and Susan while we had the opportunity to be there uh, doing a teaching with uh, some of the national partners. About a, a hundred or so uh, gathered there. And uh, we were so, so blessed to be with them. Uh, and it was so humbling. <laughs> you know, when you uh, travel to speak in this way, uh, it's, it's good for your soul because you actually interact with folks who have real problems. <laughs> and yet they are victorious. And uh, our brothers and sisters in Romania go through much uh, in challenge. And now the last uh, few months I've had one and a half million uh, refugees from Ukraine that have come into their country and they're uh, ministering to them in a powerful way. And it was just an incredible privilege to be with them and to talk about uh, overcoming the virus of fear. I uh, was able to uh, take 100 copies of the book Corona Victus. It had been translated into Romanian. I'm thankful for Lisa and her help with that project. And we were able to give all the folks there a copy of that. And so it was a wonderful time. And again, thank you so much for, for your prayers. But it's exciting to see God is at work. <laughs> He's at work around the world. I want you to know God is not dead. <laughs> He's not even asleep. <laughs> He's very active and doing great and mighty things. And we're thankful for the great and mighty things He does here in our community and also in our midst. And we pray for continued faithfulness to Him. So it is so good to be back with you. Now last week, many of you know, uh, we began here as a church uh, a journey of climbing this Mount Everest of Scripture. And that is how the book of Romans has been referred to many times, the Mount Everest of Scripture. It is the, it is the towering mountain, I think, of God's revelation. And so for the next 11 months or so, we have some breaks for different times of teaching focus. But we're going to be journeying up this mountain and praying that the Lord will give us a vision of himself and his glory, of his son, of our great salvation. And will inspire us to new heights of service for the Lord as we make our way up this incredible mountain of truth. Now, once you turn to the passage that was read uh, earlier, thankful for Julie reading that and the powerful prayer from Patrick. But turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1 in the Bible. You know, with the extensive number of cable, cable channels that are available now and also all kinds of online media providers, there are some movies that are playing somewhere on some channel 24-7. <laughs> and you probably recognize some of those. And um, one of those that regularly you'll see playing, being made available, is a 1994 award-winning film entitled The Shawshank Redemption. Now, it's a brilliantly made and movie, incredible acting involved in it, and also hard at times to watch. If you've ever watched it, it is a very challenging film to watch. But the basic storyline is this. Then 1947, a young Portland, Maine banker by the name of Andy Dufresne is wrongly convicted of killing his wife and her lover. And he is, he is sentenced to two consecutive life terms to be served in the infamous Shawshank State Prison. 
In the early days there, he's befriended by a man by the name of Ellis Redding. He's called Red. And Red is the, he is the contraband specialist of the prison. He can get stuff. And so Andy makes an unusual request. He requests a small rock hammer because he's a, a part-time geologist by interest. So he requests a rock hammer and also a large portrait of Rita Hayworth. Well, Andy's financial abilities come to the notice of the warden. He's a terrible man parading himself as a Christian man. He finds out about Andy's accounting ability, so he makes Andy uh, responsible for taking care of the accounts of an illegal profit scheme where the labor of the prisoners for public works is a steady source of income for this warden. Well, there's many sub-themes sub to this movie, but after 19 years of quietly chiseling away at night in a hole behind the poster, and the poster changes a few times. One night during a thunderstorm, Andy bursts open with a rock the sewage pipe for the entire prison. And he crawls over 600 feet through that filth. And then there's the epic scene, and it is captured here on the poster, where crawling out of that sewage line, he stands in a drainage ditch, rain's pouring down upon him, and with his arms outstretched, he's just overcome by the sense of freedom and his redemption from the abuse that he's received. And next year, his friend Red is paroled and makes him his way to a secret stash that Andy has told him about. And the movie ends with the two of them embracing, reuniting on the beach, Pacific coast of Mexico, small fishing village. Now that movie, The Shawshank Redemption, is a, it is a powerful story. The theme of overcoming the most brutal and hopeless situations and the power of the human spirit for accomplishing personal redemption and also redemption for others as well. It's, it's a powerful story, but it is fiction. It's fiction. Today, what I'd like to do, with God's help, is for us to focus on a true story. A true story of our incredible need as sinners and God's infinite provision for our need in our redemption through Jesus Christ. So today I want us to consider this passage that we've just read and I want us to consider it under this title. I like to refer to this this morning as the sewage tank redemption. The sewage tank redemption. Now my friends I'll Tell you honestly and humbly, I have wrestled with this passage all week long. It has awakened me several times. I've prayed much about it. Most of all, my prayer has been this. To be honest to God. To be honest to God. That I might speak with honesty before God. And my friends, listen carefully. For you that are here, you that are watching, that we might all listen 
with honesty before God. To be honest to God regarding this passage is, you, we have to be honest that there are two revelations that you'll notice here. Two revelations. There is, first of all, the gospel truth of God's righteousness revealed for believing sinners. That's the gospel truth. God's righteousness, a righteousness from God provided for believing sinners. And then there's a second revelation. There's a revelation of the awful truth of God's wrath revealed toward unbelieving sinners. God's wrath revealed toward unbelieving sinners. Now thank God for the gospel truth of God's righteousness provided for believing sinners. Thank God, right? Then I want you to see these two bookends of the gospel that really are the theme of the book of Romans. If you want to know the theme of the book of Romans, here they are, these two book, bookends. Look, if you would, at chapter 1 with me. And look at verse 16 and 17, which these were covered last week. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. Beginning with faith, it's faith all the way to the end. As it is written, the righteous shall live by their faith. Now there's the gospel, the good news. A righteousness revealed from God for believing sinners. And notice, almost the identical statement is made by Paul in chapter 3, verse 20. Would you look in chapter 3, verse 20? Beginning actually verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There in those two bookends is the gospel. The good news. That for believing sinners, there is a righteousness that has been revealed. An external righteousness, a heavenly righteousness provided through Jesus Christ for all who will believe. That's the gospel. But now, friends, this morning, notice between Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, and verse 20 and 21 of Romans 3, there is this passage, Romans 1, 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, that we're going to consider these next couple of weeks. And this passage shares the awful truth of mankind's complete culpability. Complete culpability, that means responsibility for our sins. We are all culpable for our sins against God. That's one truth. It's awful. But the second truth is mankind's inability to do anything about it. We are completely culpable, responsible for our sins, but there's not one thing we can do to fix that. We're in unable to change our condition. And so for the next several minutes, folks, what I want to do, I want us just to walk through this sewer. And before we begin, I want us to pray. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, how great Thou art. God of truth, who shares with us the awful truth of our condition 
as sinners. And the awesome truth of salvation provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for your divine power and help to faithfully be honest to you as I preach your word this morning. And Lord, I ask and pray that you, by your grace, would help everyone in this room and everyone who hears this message, everyone who listens, to have their ears opened by your Spirit to hear the truth of God. We need grace to speak, Lord, and we need grace to listen. God of all grace, thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Now notice, what is the beginning of man's responsibility in sin toward God? Number one, it is the suppression of the truth of God. The suppression of the truth of God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. Now again, we want to be honest to God. So we need to begin right here. We need to be honest to God about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. There are two words in the New Testament for wrath. The first wrath, word for wrath is thumos. Thumos. And it means to breathe violently. It's the idea of snorting with anger. That word is practically never used in regard to God's wrath. Except in the coming day of wrath. The word here that is used for wrath is and is commonly used for God's wrath in the Bible in the New Testament word is orge. And it means, listen carefully, a slow ripening that then bursts forth. A slow ripening that then bursts forth. And that's the word Paul, by the Holy Spirit, uses here. And as a matter of fact, he uses it ten times in the book of Romans. Ten times Paul refers to the orge, of God, the slow ripening wrath of God that will burst forth. Now, to be honest to God, folks, we have to be honest about God's wrath. But sadly and tragically, when it comes to this truth of a God who has wrath against sin. Tragically, one of the most dishonest places in our culture today is often the churches. Where the churches refer, refuse to reference what is clearly taught in God's word, his wrath. Dr. Tony Evans is a pastor, an author from Dallas, Texas. He pastors Oak Cliff Bible Church. Listen to what he said. He has such a powerful way of expressing this. Dr. Evans says, What would you say about a friend who saw you going down a dangerous road and knew disaster awaited you at the other end and yet offered you no counsel and made no attempt to stop you? That person would be a useless friend. How about a doctor who knew you had a life-threatening illness but simply told you, Take two aspirin, go home and rest. His compassion for you as a doctor would be in serious question. Suppose a police officer saw smoke rising from your roof or witnessed burglars breaking into your home but never tried to intervene or to alert anyone. He should be fired for failing to do his job. I could go on, but let me ask you one more question. What would you say about a pastor who told you about God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's patience. 
but never warned you of his wrath. I'd like to answer that one myself. That pastor would be doing you a great disservice. It is the pastor's responsibility. But listen, my friends, it's all of our responsibilities as Christians to say what God says. And the most important thing that we say is what God says about himself. Great theologian J.I. Packer, one of the great theologians the last hundred years, said this, quote, One of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both testaments emphasize the reality and the terror of God's wrath. John Murray, another theologian and commentator, answers the question, what is God's wrath? It's not God losing his temper. It's not God blowing up out of control. What is God's wrath? Here's what John Murray says. Wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is a contradiction of his holiness. God's wrath is the holy revulsion of God's very being against that which is in contradiction of His holiness. Now notice, look back at verse 18, the specific reason for God's wrath. Not just the the practice of sin, as terrible as that is, but notice verse 18, that Mankind is suppressing the truth. They are suppressing for the truth for the purpose of unrighteousness. That's literally what it's saying. God's wrath is going to be and is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteous of men, men, and mankind in specifically is suppressing God's truth so that Mankind can sin against God. Now, in verses 18 to 22, we learn three things in regard to mankind's suppression of God's truth. And that's where Paul is going. Where this suppression of truth leads. And my friend, listen to me. The suppression of truth leads you to one place, darkness and bondage. Because the Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Three things in regard to mankind's suppression of truth. Number one, why mankind suppresses the truth of God. Again, literally, verse 18, who for the purpose of unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's suppressed for the purpose of doing what is ever desired to be done. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said the same thing as Paul. Jesus said, this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's what Jesus said. Why mankind suppresses the truth of God? Suppress the truth so you can do what you want. Secondly, how does mankind suppress the truth? How is it suppressed? Well, Paul deals with that in verses 19 and 20. Look at verse 19. How do they suppress the truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's the them? Mankind. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. 
Here you see, friends, listen, there are two sources, Paul mentions, of light. Two sources of light. Two sources of truth to all human beings. The first is the light of conscience. The light of conscience. We are made as image bearers. We are made with God consciousness. There is no such thing as someone who is by nature an atheist. Someone as well said, you have to go to college to become an atheist. <laughs> Verse 19. What can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them in their very consciousness. There's an awareness of God. And number two, there's the light of creation. The light of conscience. And then the light of creation. I saw this quote this week about Helen Keller, that amazing woman who was deaf, blind, and mute. Amazing story. Went on to earn her PhD and write numerous books and lecture around the world. You know what she said about her darkness? She said this, I knew he was there, but I did not know his name. Deaf, blind, and mute. I knew he was there, but I did not know his name. There's the light of creation. His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. My friends, listen. Creation is God's first missionary. Look around you on this glorious morning. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. This earth is revealing His power and His nature, His kindness and His goodness. People who reject this are without excuse. Now, no, stop here for a moment. Notice this. They are not condemned because they've rejected the Lord. They're not condemned because they've rejected the Lord Jesus. They are condemned because they've rejected the light that they have received. My friend, if that is true, and it is, if the people in Rome were without excuse, who had never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, if the pagans for the ages are without excuse who have never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the guilt of our culture when God is freely discussed and revealed throughout our nation and our culture? And even more than that, what is the guilt of someone who goes to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and rejects God and His Son? Who will receive the worst condemnation and the greater punishment? The third thing we learn about suppressing God's truth. And that's the result. What's the result of mankind suppressing God's truth to do what mankind wants? Verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they being mankind, us, though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Notice the result of refusing to honor God, refusing to be thankful, refusing the truth from God. It leads to a darkened and desensitized mind. Light rejected 
leaves no one in neutrality. My friend, you may think that you can just pause and say, well, let me consider what you're saying about the Bible. I'll consider it some, and if I've decided that it's true or not, then I I may make a decision about that. My friend, listen. Light rejected does not leave you unchanged. Light rejected brings more darkness. It brings more desensitizing of the mind. You see, suppressing the truth of God is terrible because it's not just mental. It's also moral. You see, every person believes something. And what a man or woman believes in their heart, what? That is what they will be, what they will do. So when God is rejected in the mind and the mind becomes dark, then the morals become dark. The morals follow the mind. Suppressing the truth leads to a darkness in lifestyle. Further and further from God. And notice, that's exactly what happened. Suppressing the truth leads to substituting the truth. Substituting of mankind's moral values for God's immortal values. You have to believe something. And if you will not believe God's immortal values, then you will substitute your own moral values. This is the downward Spiral. It starts right here. Now, friend, no pastor, hear me, no pastor relishes reading and explaining Romans chapter 1, verses 22 to 28. But every faithful pastor must do it. If he loves God and honors God, and if he loves the people that hear his voice and desires them to know God, that faithful pastor must deal with this. Now let us in speaking and hearing be honest to God. There are two phrases here that are used three times. Notice this. Two phrases used three times. The first phrase is simply the word exchanged. And then there's a phrase, God gave them up. Look for these two phrases, exchanged and God gave them up. Verses 22 to 28. The Bible says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged. The glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Connect that. They exchanged. God gave them up. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged, mark it again, they exchanged the truth of God. They exchanged it for a lie. And worshipped and served the creation, the creature, more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. Connect those. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And God gave them up to dishonorable passion. For their women exchanged natural relations. There's the word again. Exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise exchanged, gave up natural relations with women. And when we're consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there it is again, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Notice the dreadful exchange. I don't want that. Give me this. Verse 23. They exchange God's glory for what? The image of a man. Humanism. What are we told in the Bible? The very first truth. God created man in His image. What is idolatry? To create God in our image. To make God like us. That's what man did. Mankind from the very earliest. Exchange God's glory for the image of man. Secondly, exchange God's truth. The ultimate truth. What's the ultimate truth? That there is one God, one creator of all things. What's the lie? Don't worship the creator. Worship the creation. Don't worship the creator. Worship the things of this earth. Bow down to them. And then the exchange of God's gift. The exchange of God's gift. What gift? Verse 26. They exchanged the natural relations for those that are against nature. Natural relations here refers to God's gift of God's ordained gift of sexual relations. Between a man and a woman in marriage. That's God's gift. Sex is a gift of God to men and women. United in covenant to be enjoyed as His gift. But they exchange this natural relation for that which is contrary to nature. Sexual relationships between those that are of the same sex. It is contrary to nature. Why? Because in the beginning, God created man, male and female, He created them. Mankind, men and women, are the image bearers of God. But they are created unique, even in their physiology. And that is rejected. The natural relations between male and female rejected for that which is contrary. Men to men, women to women. And notice what it is contrary to. It's not contrary to repressive religious culture. This sin is not contrary to moral values of puritanical, repressive Christians. It is contrary to the nature of God's creation, male and female. The ultimate expression of God stamped on every man and woman. That is what's rejected. Now I said there's two phrases they are used three times. The first phrase, they exchanged. And the second phrase is this. God gave them up. What is that? That is the sovereign surrender of mankind to their choices. That's what that is. God gave them up. What is that? It is God's sovereign surrender of mankind... To their choices contrary to him and his righteousness. Notice verse 24. God gave them up. Verse 26. God gave them up. Verse 28. God gave them up. This phrase, God gave them up. Listen carefully. This is a statement of divine judgment. But now listen. Listen carefully. It is a statement of God's passive judgment. 
He doesn't do anything to these people. He doesn't bring earthquakes on them. Fire and sword. He doesn't bring hurricanes to New Orleans. Earthquakes to San Francisco. Planes into towers in Manhattan. No. That is active. That's the active judgment of God. And God does intervene in active judgment at times. But this is the passive judgment of God. This, what is the passive judgment of God? Friends, listen carefully. The passive judgment of God is when God releases people to the consequences of their own sinful choices. That is the judgment of God, but it's really a judgment that people bring on themselves. God, in passive judgment, allows the consequences of people's sinful choices to roll back upon them. It's sort of like this. Mankind says, I want what I want. Mankind says, my will be done. My will be done. And the Lord's response in passive judgment is this. All right. Thy will be done. Not my will be done. You don't want my will? which is good and perfect and leads to life, then take your will and your action. The consequences are your own. My friend, listen. God doesn't have to do anything to punish sin. Though He does punish sin and will one day in the judgment, sin brings its own punishment. God permits, what happens? God permits, listen carefully, the spiritual gravitational power of sin, the spiritual gravitational power of sin to pull a person down who has rebelled to his or her own choices. That is God giving them up. Verse 24, God gave them up to dishonor their bodies. Verse 26, God gave them up to degrading passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased perceptions. God gave them up, verse 28, to a debased mind. What does that mean? It means like a seared mind. A mind that no longer thinks correctly. Mankind says, God, leave me alone. And that's the punishment. God says, I'll leave you alone. That's the punishment. Left alone by God. It's just a foretaste of hell. Eternally left alone by God. But people think I can control this. I go my own way and then when I'm ready, I'll turn things around if I want. But here's the truth. The spiraling moral devolution of mankind. Devolution. I know you type that, a red line will come underneath it. Why? Because I'm making it up. <laughs> the Apostle Paul did it several times, so I have, I, have good, <laughs> I have good foundation for this. We hear about evolution. Man is getting greater and greater and newer and newer heights. Well, yes, we are going on in newer heights of learning. But we're ever learning and never able, what? To come to the knowledge of the truth. 
the matter of fact, it's just farther and farther away from God, a spiral down into deeper darkness and moral sewer. My friend, do not, do not stop at the sins that Paul describes in verses 26 and 27. To be honest, you need to go on to what Paul says about the other sins. 21 qualities of a life, mankind spiraling away from God. Look at this, verse 28. And since they did not see fit in themselves to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what they ought not to do. Notice, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Here comes the 21 qualities. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That is where the mind goes that rejects God. Not upward and upward in moral evolution. Downward, downward in moral devolution. But then comes the bottom. You know what the bottom is? Here's the bottom. The moral bottom of the sewer. But my friend, listen. No one has ever been able to measure the depths of this bottom. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree, that is, His commands. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. They know this. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The bottom of the sewer is when society promotes and praises those who practice what God is calling evil. It is the character of Satan himself. Listen carefully. This is the character of Satan himself. Evil is good and good is evil. That is when society... He's at the bottom. When it's not just a person's individually choosing to live a life of disobedience to God, but when society itself begins to say and to teach and laws begin to be passed saying that evil is good and good is evil. Amen. That is the bottom. My friend, listen carefully now. Lest we should look at this and stand back and say, tisk, tisk, tisk. Friend, listen. This is the story of us. You don't have to watch a television show. Read this. This is the story of us. This is our sewer. My own heart condemns me of how much of this sewer I see flowing in my own life. Remember the title, though. What's the title of this message? You say, I have forgotten. <laughs> 
the sewage tank of redemption. Redemption. Friends, listen, let me tell you about this sewer here. No one ever crawled out of this sewer. This is not Shawshank redemption. By your good works and your goodness, you redeem yourself and you crawl out to your own redemption. No one has ever on their own crawled out of this sewer, but thank God someone crawled into it. And the one that crawled into this sewer is the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. He came to this sewer. He was born into this sewer. And this sewer of sinful life and sinners overwhelmed him and engulfed him and nailed him to a cross. But praise his name forever. He emerged from the sewer through the open door of an open tomb. And he has on his belt the keys of death and hell. He is a victor. He said it is finished. What? Redemption's finished. He has taken the sin on himself. He's taken the sewer and all it deserves. And it gushed over him on that cross. And the wrath of a holy God poured out on his son in his great love. That's what happened on the cross. And Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. And now, this is the gospel. The risen Lord Jesus, the victor over the sewer, who took our place, He is calling out inside the prison to everyone who's on death row. And we're all on death row apart from Him, right? And he calls out and says, I have overcome. I've overcome your filth. I've overcome the sin of the world. I've taken your death. Now come to me. I have the keys of death and hell. I will set you free. Come to me and live. This is the good news. This is the redemption He'll give you a new life, a new direction. He'll give you qualities of life so new. And I must share this with you as we come to a close. One of my favorite writers, R. Kent Hughes, was studying this passage. And he was thinking about the power of the gospel is if you just take this sewer and change the words. Notice this. Because of Christ and what He did on the cross, therefore God gave them over in their hearts to self-control and purity that their bodies might be honored among them. For they cherished and kept the truth of God and worshiped and served the Creator who is blessed forever rather than the creation. For this reason, God gave them over to pure and wholesome lives, lived in carefree ease, even in the most intimate relations, that all received in their own persons the due reward of their fidelity. And just as they saw fit to acknowledge God in all things, God gave them over to a sound mind to do those things which are proper, being filled with all righteousness, goodness, generosity, kindness, full of selflessness, life, healing, openness, kindliness. They are gentle in speech, always building others up, lovers of God, respectful, humble, self-effacing, inventors of good, obedient to parents, understanding, trustworthy, loving, merciful. And as they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are possessors of life, they do the same and give hearty approval to those who do likewise. My friend, Jesus Christ does not just provide a recovery. He provides a new life. 
total renewal, a regeneration, so that you are not what you used to be. You're not all you're going to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. And the journey is upward and upward and upward. This is the gospel truth. My friend, the Bible tells us that our blessed Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth. And those two are not in conflict, my friend. Grace and truth. My question, will we be that kind of people? Full of grace. Loving the truth. Hearts open. Arms open. To be friends of sinners. Because thank God Jesus was a friend of this sinner. But loving people enough. To speak the truth. Will we be people. So love and so in love with God. If they put us in a solitary cell, we'll preach the gospel to ourselves and bless the hand of the jailer who puts the food in. And if they do take our head from our shoulders, will our head roll off praising the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose mercy endures forever. Will we be that kind of people? Will you be that kind of person? Will you believe that God who saved you through Christ has put a new nature in you? And you're not who someone says you are. You are who God says you are. And you're not the abuse. You are the forgiveness. You're not the power of the slave. You have the power of the beloved child of God. You're not a victim. You're a victor through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Today is the day for that decision. Lord Jesus, pull me out of this sewer. You have the keys of death and hell. Pull me out. Bring me out. I hear your call. And from my dungeon of shame, I rise and I follow you. And will we say, Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth, that's what I want to be, filled with you. A man, a woman of grace and truth. I'm grateful Max and some others were going to lead us in a song. But I feel strangely led right now not to sing, but for us to pray. And for anyone who wants to stay for prayer, to stay. And elders here and members of the prayer team, we'd be glad to pray with you. But the most important thing, my friend, Hear the truth. And ask God for grace to walk out into the light in Jesus and to be that light. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, in whose image we are all made, we are flawed, we are broken, we are marred in our sin. But you are the Redeemer. O oh Lord God, redeem our lives from destruction. Bring us up out of the pit. Put a new song in our mouths, even praise to our God. Take away the petty complaints. Take away the backward look at hurts and struggles. 
Fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, author and completer of our faith. Help us, O oh Lord God, our eyes fixed on you. And surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we will overcome. And we will follow you. And thank you, Lord, that your call is never downward. It's the upward call of God through Christ Jesus. And that road leads home. Lord, give us that grace. Hear our prayers. Use us as we go. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.